It is all yours. Um, Ecclesiastes, I started to say Ephesians, Ecclesiastes 1.9, uh, I was reading that this this week, and it, it says this, What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Um, I was thinking, you know, when I was a, a kid, I just assumed that all old people wanted to be young. Didn't you just assume that? I don't know if it was because of things that I heard or on TV, you know, movies and stuff, but I just assumed when you, all old people just automatically wanted to be young again. Um, but as I've gotten older into my 40s and now into my 50s, I, I don't know if that's true for other people, but it's not true for me. I've never, for one inkling, wanted to be young again, wanted to go back and do it all over again. That's just never been a part of who I am. I've always been content with whatever age I'm at. I've always enjoyed my life at whatever age I'm at, never wanted to go back and do it, do it all over again. But I was thinking about that this week, that there are advantages and disadvantages to being older. I think one of the advantages, Kathy and I were talking about that this week, I think, is that when you're young, don't you find that as, when you were young, you're always looking forward too much? I think young people are constantly, they don't enjoy where they are because they're constantly looking ahead. When I graduate, when I get married, when I have children, when I do this, when I do that, you don't ever enjoy the moment. Uh, but as you get older, there ain't a whole lot left to look forward to, right? So, so you tend to focus, you tend to focus on the here and now, and you you enjoy your life, I think, a lot, a lot more. Um, I was the reason I was thinking about that this week is is because of the the Bible. Now, let me say this one other thing. There are some, uh, some, some disadvantages, though, to being older. One of the disadvantages, I think, even at, I'm 53, and I can tell you, I just don't think there's anything new to do anymore. I think I've pretty... Now, I know what you might think. You may say, well, Derek, you haven't been traveled to every place there is to travel. You haven't read every book there is to read. You haven't tasted every food there is to taste, and that's true. But in a sense, you really have. Think about it this way. If I were to go to somewhere tomorrow that I'd never been before, let's say Hawaii, I've never been to Hawaii, and I get to Hawaii and I see something that's just beautiful. Some, I'm sure I'd see some beautiful sights. But is it any more beautiful than things I've seen before? Is it any more beautiful than Monterey Bay or, or, or uh, Mount Rainier or Yellowstone Park or the Gulf of Mexico? See, I don't think it is. I think it's just a... A different, it's beauty packaged in a different way. If I tasted a food tomorrow that I'd never tasted before, it might be delicious, but is it, is it any more delicious than food I've tasted in my past? No. It's just, it's just, it's a delicious food packaged in a different way. You see, in a sense, there really is nothing new under the sun. You know, when you're a child, I was thinking this week about Ellicate, our granddaughter, everything's new, right? Every experience is new. Every food is new. You can give her we gave her some carrot cake the other night, and she just, you know, <laughs> she acted like she couldn't figure out what that was going in her mouth. Um, for us, it's just nothing, you know, there's really nothing new, right? Now, there is one, I say all that because there is one exception to that, and that's the Bible. I, I tell you, I, I cannot get over this. Every time I come to the Bible and begin to study the Bible, you'll think, man, I've read this passage before. There's nothing new here, and for some reason, somehow, it's just not true. There, it just never gets old. There, it never ceases. You can't never cease plumbing the depths 
uh, of the Bible. If you'll get in it and study it and let it speak to you, let the Holy Spirit speak to you. The Bible just never... I don't, I don't even know how it works. I can't figure it out. It's just like this week. I come to a, uh, this passage, the last four or five verses of Corinthians chapter 3, and I'm thinking, there ain't no way I'm going to get a lesson out of this. There's nothing, there's just not much here. And at the end of the day, I end up throwing stuff out to get it down to about 35 or 40, 45 minutes because I, I just, it, it's just so much stuff. And one area in which the Bible never ceases to amaze me is how it is able to discern the human heart. That, that is just something that amazes me. When you read the Bible, it's like when it's talking, it just knows what we're thinking. It knows how a human heart works, uh, you know, better than any psychology uh, manual. And today's text is, is one of the examples of that. Now, we've said numerous times over and over and over again that the main problem that, that Paul is dealing with in the church is pride. And we've said this before. You go to any church in any uh, state, in any country, and if there's problems in that church, it's all going to go back to pride people not willing to humble themselves and put others first. It's all going to go back to pride, and that's exactly what they were dealing with at Corinth. So, And one of the, the ways that this pride worked itself out in Corinth is, that, is people lined up behind different teachers. I like this guy, I like this guy, I like uh, this guy. Now, so they're boasting or bragging in men. Now, we've talked a lot about boasting or bragging, but I want to stop this morning and just real quickly think about it. What, what does it mean to boast or brag? Well, one of, what it means to boast or to brag is that somebody feels the need to put themselves forward as noteworthy so other people will pat them on the back, right? Uh, you think you're smart, and you just don't think a lot of people notice it, right? So you feel the need to let everybody know how smart you are or how beautiful you are or how humble you are or how wise you are. You, you have to brag about it. You have to... Uh, you have to boast about it. But here's one of the questions, and this is where the Bible is just so cool to me. Why do people do it? Have you ever thought about what's going on when somebody boasts or brags? What makes them do that? What, what actually is going on in the inner workings of their mind that they feel the need that I need to let everybody know how great I am? Well, I think there are two reasons or, or two types of people that brag, Okay. There is the person <clears throat> that you run into occasionally who really feels like they are, they got it all going on. They really feel that way. In their heart of hearts, they really think, there ain't nobody like me. Okay? The problem is, nobody around them recognizes that. <laughs> they ought to see something going on. They see it, but nobody else recognizes it, so they feel the need to brag about it. Now, I would label these people for just, just as, as we're talking, I would label these the self-confident people. They really have a lot of self-confidence. Some of it's misplaced they don't, they, because nobody else can see it for some unknown reason, but they see it. So we'll call these people the self-confident. Now, for the most part, these are the few. There's really not a lot of these. I'm not saying there's not a lot of braggers, but not a lot of people brag because they really are self-confident. Most self-confident people don't have to brag because it's easy to see. But there are people that are, they really think, I got it going on. I don't know why anybody around here can't see how great I am. So they have to, they have to brag about it. But those are the few. Now, the other type of the person, these are people who do, really don't feel themselves noteworthy at all. 
They look at themselves and they think, man, I'm just not that pretty, I'm not that handsome, I'm not that smart, I'm not really that wise, I'm not, I'm not really that anything. And so these people have to fit, when they have some, they have to work out their pride a different way. And one of the ways they do this is by hopping on a bandwagon with somebody else. Okay? Now, they can do that in a lot of ways. Some people do it, we talked about this before, some people do it with sports teams. You ever see somebody and they, every time you see them, they got their logos on, they got their, their, their car is just, is just covered up with bumper stickers. They want you to know, I am a fan of this. They align themselves with that team. That's how they validate themselves. I'm a winner because I... Everybody with me? You can do this through organizations. You can do it through noteworthy people. Okay? Now, I call these people insecure. And, that, and by the way, that is the many. We all struggle with this in some form, way, shape, or fashion. We're not, we all deal with insecurities in different ways. But these people are really insecure. So what they do, because they don't see anything noteworthy in themselves, they latch on to somebody, uh, another group or another person. Everybody, everybody with me? So we call these the insecure. Now, let's turn to our passage this morning, 1 Corinthians 3, 8, and we'll read verses 18 through 21, and let's see what it says about these people. It says, let no one deceive himself. If any one among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may really become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. Now, which group is Paul talking to here? Is he talking to the self-confident or is he talking to the insecure? Well, it's pretty obvious he's talking to the self-confident because look what he says. If you really think you're wise, if that's what you really think about yourself, you need to become a fool for God's sake. See, that he's talking to people that really think, I don't need God. I got it all figured out. I'm wise in my own mind. So here, he's talking to the self-confident group. Now again, that's the few. There's really not a lot of them but evidently there was some in the church at Corinth. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time here this morning because Paul is just reiterating things that he said over and over again in, earlier in the letter. But I do want you to notice one thing about his tone. Notice his tone is one of warning and a tone of alarm. Look at some of the things he says. Don't deceive yourself. The wisdom of this world is foolishness. Boasting in men is a dead-end street. It's futile is what he says. And then he goes on to say, God will trap you or catch you in your own craftiness if you think you're so wise. This is, these are threats almost, warnings. Uh, everybody see his tone here? He's being very serious. He's just getting in their face and saying, you think you're wise? You, you need to be careful. Don't deceive yourself. Don't be caught in your own craftiness. Don't, don't be a fool. Right, What you're doing is, is futile. Now, in the second part of the passage, we're going to see something completely different. Paul's not going to change the subject, but what you'll notice is he completely changes his tone. Look at verses 21 to 23. So let no one boast in men, because all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Now, what I want you to notice here is that Paul, he's giving reasons not to boast. Everybody see that? In the first part, he says, don't boast because you're, you're not really that smart. Don't boast because God is going to catch you 
in your, uh, in your own craftiness. Don't boast because you're deceiving yourself. Now here he's doing the exact same thing. He's giving reasons not to boast, but the reasons he gives are completely different. The, the tone he uses is not threatening, it's reassuring. It's, it's not alarmist, it's comforting. It's full of hope, it's full of uh, even relief. Now the question is, why would he change his reasons and why would he change his tone? Well, the reason is, is because he's talking to a different group. In the first part of the passage, he's talking to the people that are, I'm really, I got it going on, right? I don't need y'all. I don't need you to tell me what to do. I'm smart. I'm wise. I got it going on. And Paul says, you're a fool. But then he steps over here to the insecure. Now remember, insecure people think, I really don't have it going on. There's just really ain't nothing special about me. Not that wise. Not that smart. Not that pretty. I ain't got a whole lot going on. See, what Paul is doing now is he's talking to the insecure uh, group. Now, let me give you an example. Suppose I were to walk by today at between uh, Bible study and church. I walk by and I hear two of y'all having a conversation. And let's say that one of you is just boasting about your Bible study teacher, right? Just how great he is and how good he looks with his gray hair and purple shirt. And you're just, you're just going on and on and on about this Bible study teacher, right? But in the conversation, I hear you actually criticizing another teacher, putting another teacher down. He's better than she is, or she's better than he is, and y'all are, y'all are going back and forth and debating. So I walk up to you, and I say something like this. I say, why are y'all talking like this? Why are you talking like this teacher belongs to you, and this teacher belongs to you? Don't you know the whole world is yours? Don't you know that every teacher in the river of life belongs to you? In fact, don't you know that the world and the present and the future, that the whole universe is yours? Now, if I was talking like that to you, okay, would I say something like that to a self-confident person or to an insecure person? See, when I'm talking like that, I'm talking to insecure people. In other words, I'm not threatening you. I'm not coming at you with any kind of alarmist. I'm coming at you, I'm trying to build you up. I'm trying to give you hope. Everybody with me? Because I see in that conversation that you're insecure about who you are, that you're trying to line up behind certain teachers. Everybody with me? See, that's exactly what the Bible sees, just what we would see as we walked around and we heard a conversation like that. The Bible's trying to build these people up. It's trying to give them confidence in who they are. You don't need to do that because everything belongs to to you. You see, many people... Even Christians are insecure in themselves. They're insecure in who they are. Here's another thing. A lot of Christians are pretty insecure in their beliefs and they're insecure in their knowledge of the Bible. Okay? So what they do, because they're insecure in their beliefs, they're insecure in their knowledge of the Bible, is they will line up with a teacher who validates them. Now, this, folks, this is human nature. It is human nature. If you've got a certain set of beliefs, are you going to go sit in a class where your teacher challenges your beliefs? Or are you going to go sit in a class where your teacher validates your beliefs? What are you going to do? I'm telling you, 99 out of 100 Christians will go find a teacher that validates what they believe. I've seen it over and over and over. People will come to a class, you give them something in the Bible that doesn't line up with what they believe, 
and they'll and they instead of diving into that and wrestling with that, you know what they'll do? They'll leave and they'll go find a teacher that teaches the way they believe because it, it makes them feel, what, what's it doing? Because they're insecure. It's validating, oh, I'm okay because this guy says I'm. So that's, ex- that's human nature 101. We tend to line up behind teachers who make us feel good about ourselves, not challenge ourselves. Okay? And that's exactly what was going on with Corinth. Some people lined up behind Paul. Some people lined up behind Apollo. Some lined up behind Peter. Because for whatever reason, they make me feel better about, uh, about myself. Two, two groups, self-confident and insecure. Notice the difference between them. One group is controlled by a sense that they have everything under control. I, I know what I'm doing. I got it going on. I, I really don't need anybody to tell me uh, anything else. I've got it all together. On the other side of the aisle, you've got the group. They're controlled by their sense of insecurity, right? They One group takes pride in themselves, the self-confident. The other group has to take pride by aligning themselves. Everybody with me? Okay. One group says, I, I don't need anybody else. I got it going on. The other group says, man, I ain't got it going on. I need to line up with somebody that's going to make me feel better uh, about myself. But here's where the Bible has such an uncanny way, as I was mentioning earlier, about diagnosing the human heart. Although these groups are really different and the way they express their pride is different, they have something very common, or they have something in common between themselves. And what they have in common is self-deception. See, Paul says it right at the beginning in verse 18, let no one deceive themselves. You see, both groups, the self-confident and the insecure, even though they're expressing their pride in different ways, Paul says both of you got something in common, and what you've got in common is yourself deceived. You see, one group deceives themselves that they have all the answers, right? I really don't need those guys to tell me what to do because I I can study the Bible for myself. I can see it right there. I know what I need to believe. I know what I need to do. I don't need any man to teach me. This is the self-confident group that thinks that they're, that they're wise. The other group is deceiving themselves because they think the answer is found in another man. I may not know what's going on, but he does, so I'm going to come over here and, and attach myself to this person, and he'll, I'll just ride his coattails. He'll give me uh, all the answers, okay? And, and Paul addresses that group too. One group labors under the deception that I can handle my own problems. The other group labels under deception that he'll help me handle all of my problems. I'll just line up with that man. Again, he'll tell me what I need to do. And you can see how both of these dishonor God. One deception causes people to feel no need for God. Okay? The other feels a need, but then they satisfy that need by lining up behind a man. Listen, this goes on all the time. I, I, you, you can find people... I was talking to Pastor Henry one day about this, and he was telling me that one of the issues that he has is, because I really admire, I, I, I got a friend of mine in St. Louis, and I, every time I preach, he always likes to hear me preach, so whenever I preach, I'll send him the, a link to, the, to the, uh, the audio file, and he'll always email me, hey, read your message, I say it one more time, you need to be a pastor, and I write him back, you're an idiot, <laughs> no, I don't say that, I'm just kidding. Though there's a big, I keep telling this guy, there's a huge difference between teaching and pastoring. 
You can be called to teach. It does not mean you're called to pastor. A pastor is a whole different skill set than somebody who can teach. As a pastor, you have to deal with people, right? As a teacher, you don't really have to necessarily deal with people. But as a, And I admire pastors because they, of the things they have to deal with. I was talking to Pastor Henry one day, and, and he, he was telling me that one of the things that he has to deal with is that someone will come into this church, and almost everybody has a favorite preacher somewhere. It could be T.D. Jakes, it could be John Piper, it could be Franklin Graham, it could be Andy Stanley, it could be anybody, right? And so what people tend to come in and do is they'll say, oh, oh, Pastor Henry, you need to be like this guy. You need to teach what? Everybody with me? He, he's constantly getting that fit. You need to be like that guy. You need, to, you need to go to this conference. You need to do this. You need to do that. Um, you see, that's because what happens is what we mentioned earlier, is that people, people know they have needs, but instead of going directly to God, they line up behind these men. They think, well, that guy's got it going on. So I'm going to watch everything he does. I'm going to listen to everything he says. I'm going to do everything he says to do. Like he's got all the answers. That's the insecure uh, group. The one says, I don't need to follow a crucified Christ. I'm fine. The other says, I don't need to follow a crucified Christ. I'll just follow the man. I mean, their intentions may be to follow. Everybody with me? Their intentions may be to follow God, but they're really following a man who follows God. And, that, and it's because they're insecure. Okay? They feel better about doing it that way. Both of those are demeaning to the grace of God. So what we have to understand about today's passage is that, that Paul wants to undercut and dismantle pride in the church at Corinth. He has to deal with both groups of people. He has to deal with the, with the self-confident and he has to deal with the insecure. And he's attempting to do that in, with both in today's passage. So to the self-sufficient... He says, your wisdom is foolishness, it's a trap, you need to give it up and get out of it. Um, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. Now, we've already we've covered that a lot, so the rest of the lesson today, I'm going to talk about the problem of human insecurity and how Paul deals with that. So this is the second issue that he's dealing with this morning, is Christians who are insecure, okay, Christians who have to line up behind a man because it validates them and makes them feel better about ourselves. And we all have this tendency on one level um, or another. So I think it's, this is um, relevant to all of us. Let's go back and read verses 21 to 23 again. Paul says this, So let no one boast in men. For Now, here's his reason, okay? And when I read this, I thought, I'll never get a lesson out of this. I don't even, to be honest with you, I don't even really know what he's talking about. So I don't know how I'm going to get a lesson out of it. But then when I began to see what he was saying, I thought, oh, now I get what he's talking about. This is what he says to insecure people. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, which is Peter, or the world or life or death, or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are, you are Christ, you are Christ, Christ, Christ and, and Christ is God's. So, so the fearful and the insecure and the threatened, he says this, boasting in men is a cheap substitute for inheriting the universe. Don't you realize that God has made all things to serve your joy? Okay. Now, let, let's dig into this a little bit. The argument he gives is very brief, almost like a lightning bolt. 
He says, don't boast in men because all things are yours. That's his argument. If you feel the need to boast in men, don't do it because all things are yours. Now, what does he, what does he mean by that? What he's saying here is he's saying, first of all, when you have a sense of insecurity in your abilities, in your job, in your ministry, in your theology, okay? So maybe about what you believe. When you have a sense of insecurity in all of that, that will tempt you to attach yourself to some man or some woman who can make you feel better about all that stuff, right? That's, that's what your, the temptation is going to be to attach yourself to someone. Paul says, don't do that because all things are yours. That, that's his argument. In a world where everybody seems to be finding their significance on social media, right? Everybody wants, that's where everybody wants to live now and find their significance. I, I was talking to the youth a few weeks ago about self-esteem. And I said this to them, find me somebody on, on, on Facebook who's posting selfies and I'll find you somebody who's so insecure it's pitiful. It's pitiful. All they like me, like me, like me. I mean, they, they might as well have a sign up that says, like me. Tell me I'm okay. Tell me I'm a good person. Tell me I'm beautiful so I'll believe it myself. It's It's sad. But you li we live in a world where people seem to be finding their significance on social media. Paul says, don't, you, know, you may feel tempted if you don't see anything in yourself. You may feel tempted on social media to attach yourself to someone who's more prevalent, more famous, more published, more prominent, more successful. Paul says, if you feel that temptation, don't do it. Why? Because everything belongs to, to you. When, when the craving for the kudos that come from being in the know about, you know, who the latest movie star is or the athlete is or the author or theologian, and you think, boy, if I just know all this that there is to know, people are going to like me more. People are going to think I'm more knowledgeable. People are going to think I'm, I'm more it, in with it. Paul says, don't, don't do it. Don't give in to that temptation because why? His, his reason is all things are, are yours. So when you have cravings for significance or power or authority and you're tempted to do that by attaching yourselves to other people, Paul says don't do it. And his reason is pretty simple because all things are yours. Now, what does he mean by, by that? See, that was the question for me this week because I read this and I'd seen this scripture a lot of times and I thought for the first time I really admitted to myself, Paul, I really don't understand what you're saying. What does it mean that the world is mine? What does it mean that death is mine? And life is, is mine. Um, let's, he tells us pretty quickly what he means by this. And, and we always say this in this class, right? When you read something in the Bible and you're not sure what it means, always let the Bible interpret the Bible. In other words, don't just think, well, I just, you know, just make up something. Go find other passages that deal. So Paul says all things are yours. Well, we find him defining this in two verses, Romans 8.28 and Romans 8.32. In Romans 8, 28, Paul says this, And we know that, what? By the way, what does the word all mean in Greek? It means all. It means all things. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And Romans 8, 32 says this, He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things. You see, if you put those two verses together, 
When Paul says all things are yours, what we know is Paul is saying, God has freely given all things to work for your good, for your benefit. See, when Paul says all things belong to you, all things are yours, he's saying all things in this world, in this universe, have been given for your benefit. They're working for your good. You don't belong to them. They belong to you. Okay? Now, he goes on to give us some very specific instances of these. Look at verse 22. He says, All things are yours, whether I'm talking about Paul, or Apollos, or Peter, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future. It's all yours. So he gives us specific examples. And let's walk through those real quickly. First of all, he says, Paul is yours. Now, understand who Paul was to them. He was their father in the faith, right? He was the one who led them to Jesus Christ. He was the, the apostle, the missionary who traveled around and was beaten and stoned and imprisoned and, 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 and wrecked in ships and just all kind of things happened to this guy. He is the most prominent apostle outside of Israel. By the way, the one who was caught up into paradise and saw things, he said, I can't even tell you what I saw. It's not lawful. I haven't been given the authority even to tell you the things that I saw. The, the, the man that wrote Scripture, right? This is, this is Paul. Paul says, you don't need to scrape for a few minutes of his attention, okay? Every minute of his life, everything he says, everything he does every, is, is yours. It's for you. In other words, Paul is given to you for your good. He belongs to you. You don't belong to him. He's given to you for your good and your benefit. By the way, do you understand we're living that scripture out this morning? 2,000 years have gone by, and we're sitting in a room being encouraged by Paul, being admonished by Paul, being made wiser by Paul. And Paul's been dead a couple thousand years. See, he, we don't belong to him. He belongs to us. He was given his life. Everything he did, said, was, was given for our benefit. He goes on and says, Apollos. Apollos was another teacher, um, kind of almost on the par with, uh, with, uh, with, with Paul. He was very eloquent. He was very smart, um, very theologically uh, sound. Paul says, you don't need to follow him and, and, and hope for some of his uh, attention. Everything pa Apollos says, everything Apollos does, is again, is done for your advantage for your benefit, even if he's never heard of you. Again, Apollos is given to you, given to the church, for you, for your benefit, not for... We don't belong to him, as though, he, you know, as though he's you know, checking off numbers. Well, look how many followers I've got. Paul says, no, don't look at it that way. You're looking at it the wrong way. Peter, he mentions Peter. By the way, you know why it would have been... You've got Paul, and you've got Apollos, and you've got Peter... You understand why it would have been so tempting to line up with Peter? Because Peter walked with Jesus. He touched him. He smelled him. He defended him. He denied him. He, I mean, he was the man. He, everywhere he was, him, James, and John were the three inner circle. They saw the transformation. They saw things that nobody else saw. If Peter was here and he was having a class... Over there in the mobile. Y'all all go over there. I get that, right? I mean, who wouldn't go over there? I would go. Let's cancel the class, go talk to Peter. Because Peter 
He was with him. I mean, who wouldn't want to line up behind Peter? I mean, there's Peter. But what Paul is saying is everything Peter is, everything Peter went through, right, was done for you. We do that today. We still talk about Peter. We talk about Peter denying Christ. We talk about Peter defending Christ. We talk about uh, all, the, all the things that Peter did. We still do that today. Peter, all that he went through was, was for us. It's ours, for our benefit, for our advantage. You don't belong to him. He belongs to, to you. Now, he goes on and says this. Now, we could get that. This is where it gets kind of hard for us. Paul says, the world is yours. The whole world. And what he means by that, this, is, this world has got so much beauty in it, but it's got so much pain in it too, doesn't it? it it's got such great things, and it's got such terrible things. But Paul wants us to see that the whole world, this sinful world, this painful world, this ugly world, but it's also this beautiful world. This, I mean, this, it, all of it belongs to you. Not just part of it, not just the good things. Even the bad things are yours. See, what we have to understand as Christians, we're not victims of the world. We're not victims of chance. The world isn't happening to us, right? It, it's given for us, okay? From its most beneficial beauties to its worst tragedies, it's still working for our benefit. And I'll show you how here in, in just a second. In other words, you don't belong to the world. It belongs to, to you, okay? He goes on and says, life is yours. Listen, folks, every breath you take, every beat of your heart, Every day you face, every movement you make, every word, every deed, every thought, every relationship, every accomplishment, every success, and every failure is happening to you for your benefit. What did Paul say? Romans eight twenty eight. All things work for your good. Even when things spectacularly fall apart, Paul says, that's yours. It's being done for your benefit. God's making something good out of that. God's forming you, and he's, he's taking that clay. And sometimes it hurts, right? Sometimes it's not pleasant, but he's forming you into the image of his son. It's all being done for your advantage, the good and the bad. Nothing just happens, right? It's all yours. Every emotion, every thought that passes, every book you read, every line you... If anybody tweets here, I don't tweet. But anyway, every line you tweet, every text sent, every conversation, every gift given and received, all of it, all of your life is happening for your benefit. It belongs to you. It's yours. You're not a victim of circumstance. You never see that in the Bible. It's happening for your benefit. Now, here's, well, here's, this is the best way to explain it for me. Paul says, death is yours. Now, you think... Well, now, wait a minute. How can that be? How can death be for my benefit, right? Now, let me ask you first. The Bible, Paul says in the Bible, death, where's your sting? Oh, death, where's your victory? See, we understand as Christians that death is, was, was, was nailed to that cross, right? We understand that death was overcome at that empty tomb. So how, is now, how does death now belong to me? How is death for my benefit? Well, I'm going to tell you three ways. Number one, death is your servant today, right this minute. Because as I get older and I see death coming, it's serving me. It's making me more wise. It's making me more 
fruitful. It's making me more serious. Everybody with me? There's something about knowing it's coming that says, I need to live right. I need to make sure my faith is in Jesus. Death is, ser- is your servant right now. It's working for your... Does everybody see that? Death is working for your benefit right now in your life. By the way, when you die, it is death that will usher you in to Jesus. It's death that will bring you in. It will be your servant at then. By the way, in eternity, death will still serve you from the lake of fire because you'll be able to know that's what He spared me from. It will still be serving you. It will still be benefiting you throughout eternity. Paul says it's all yours. It's all for your benefit. See, you no longer belong to death. You're not ruled by death, by the fear of death. Death now is, is your servant. Death now belongs to, to you in this life, at the point of death, and even into um, eternity. Paul says, finally, the present is yours. All things are yours now. All things are not going to begin to serve you when you die. Every present moment of your life is yours right now. Sad moments, happy moments, fearful moments, lonely moments, grieving moments. They're all serving you. Listen, when you're lonely, that moment should serve to turn you to Jesus. When you're grieving, that moment should serve to turn you to Jesus. Right? When you're fearful, that moment should serve to turn you to Jesus. See, they're all working for your benefit. Paul says it's all for you. It's all being done for you. It's all given to you to make you wiser, to make you more like Him. You are not slave of time or chance or sequence of events. They are designed by God to bring you to glory and to make you more glorious. Finally, he says the future is yours. Nothing that will come to you in the future, this is the beauty of it, it doesn't matter if it happens 10 seconds now or 10,000 years from now. Everything that happens to us in the future is going to be the exact same thing. It's going to be for our benefit. Okay? Nothing is just going to... You, 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 everything is, is going to change. Listen, you don't belong to the future. The future belongs to you. So everything that comes to pass from this moment on is going to work to your advantage. You're going to... I was reading some, uh, a book this week, and it was talking about some of these things. It was talking about heaven and some of the things, and I always like to read about that kind of stuff. And it, it was talking about the fact... The Bible tells us we're going to shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. You're going to be kings and priests. You're going to judge angels, the Bible says. You're going to have glorified bodies. You'll be put in charge of two cities or five cities or ten cities. You'll be a pillar in the temple of God. You'll sit with Jesus on His throne. You'll, you'll never sin again. You'll know Im- immeasurable pleasures forevermore. Paul says that all belongs to you. That's all yours. It's, all, it's, going, to, it's going to be there for you. Now, as we close here, you've got to ask the question, well, how can all that be? Why is everything being done for me today? The good, the bad, the beautiful, the tragedy. Why is it all belonging to mine? Well, Paul finally adds a, a, a verse in 23, which is just absolutely wonderful. Paul says, and you are Christ. In other words, you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. You see, you belong to Christ basically the way a hand belongs to a body, the way a a bride belongs to a husband, the way a child belongs to a family. You belong to Jesus. And why does belonging to Christ make all things yours? Because you are brought into the relationship between the Father and the Son. Jesus said in John 3.35, The Father loves the Son and has given what? There it is. 
He's given all things. Here's the future. Here's the pain. Here's the beauty. Here's the successes. Here's the failures. I'm giving it all into your hands. I give it all to you, Christ. I give it all to you, Son. Do with it as you please. You have authority. And we belong to Him. What's He going to do? He's going to make it all for our benefit, is He not? I mean, it's just a wonderful thing. John 16, 27, Jesus said this, For the Father Himself loves you. Why? Because you love His Son. See, the Father loves you because you love me, Jesus said. See, all the Father is, all He can be, all that He can do, He does for you because you belong to His Son. We get brought into that family. We get brought into that relationship. And just as He gave all things to Christ, the Bible says we are joint heirs with Him. Now all things belong to us. All things are for our uh, benefit. In the end, the problem with the Corinthians, and, and, the, and really the problem with us, is we don't really understand who we are in Christ. If we could just understand for one moment in time the massive, and I mean absolutely massive security of belonging to Christ, it would change everything. There is nothing we wouldn't face with a different outlook. There, there's nothing we wouldn't come up to where our perspective would be, bring it on. This is for me. This is being done for me. I'm not a victim of circumstances. I'm not a victim of genetics. I'm not a victim of anything. This is mine. This situation belongs to me. And I'm going to embrace it, and I'm going to learn from it, and I'm going to grow in it. Everything changes when you know that you belong to Christ. I want to close with Romans 8, 15 through 17. It says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you as we always do for uh, Corinthians chapter 3 as we come to the close here today. Father, um, I just ask, as I always do, the Holy Spirit would just take this, this small passage of Scripture today and it would just in some way just, just cement in our hearts and in our minds who we are in Christ. If there's anybody here that is struggling with insecurity, insecurity in who they are, insecurity in their knowledge of you, insecurity in their beliefs. Father, then I just pray that they would turn away from men to validate themselves and they would validate themselves through you. Because God, at the end of the day, that's the only thing that matters is who you say we are. Not who I say I am or who another man says I am, but who do you say that I am? And Father, you said it's all mine. God, help us, Holy Spirit, to understand this and realize the massive security of belonging to Jesus Christ. We pray for our, our, our pastor and the uh, service today. Lord, if there's anybody in that service that doesn't know you as I do, then I pray this day that the veil will be lifted and they'll become a child of God. We ask this in the name of Jesus and for His sake and for His glory. Amen. Amen. Thank you all.